You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. Waiting until you just can't, you know, do anything except for being a little tiny ball in the corner of your room isn't necessary to be able to identify overwhelm in your life, right? Like you don't have to be in that place. And by the time you are in that place, it's often much harder to undo. That was Dr. Samantha Brody, a licensed naturopathic physician, an acupuncturist, and the author of Overcoming Overwhelm, Dismantling Stress from the Inside Out. She joins me today to discuss more expansive ways that overwhelm may be showing up for you. It's not just about emotional and mental effects as well as some underappreciated considerations like the relationship between your values and overwhelm, how we don't compartmentalize as well as we think we do, and how each of us have a different pace of change when it comes to making important changes in our life. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, And I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Dr. Samantha, thanks so much for joining me on today's episode. And I'm really excited to talk to you for multiple reasons. One, I love the book. Um, Second is, you know, um, your friend, we both live here in Portland, and I'm just so proud of you for producing this work and getting out there in the world. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. All righty. So, you know, this is one of those really interesting topics. The name of the book is Overcoming Overwhelm. And overwhelm is a word that we use a lot. But what I love about it is the the more comprehensive approach that you take with the talking about overwhelm. So in your language, what is overwhelm? So for me, I think about overwhelm as being the point at which what we're experiencing is more than we can handle. And that can be mentally, it can be emotionally, it can be physically for people who have a spiritual life, it can be spiritually. It's when it's just simply too much and we then have a response to it in one way or another. And I'm glad that you go that way because I think people are experiencing overwhelm in ways that they wouldn't necessarily say are overwhelmed, right? And so how are some of the some of the ways that people might experience overwhelm are fill in the blank. So what I would say about that is that each person is going to experience overwhelm in a way that they are most susceptible. And that's going to be based on that person's individual history, their genetic dispositions, what they, you know, what their experience of the world is like. So people can experience overwhelm as, a, you know, what one might typically, quote unquote, think of overwhelm, like feeling anxious or just things are too much or pressured. But just as much people can experience overwhelm as headaches or digestive symptoms or fatigue or malaise or even disinterest, right? It can manifest in so many different ways. And that's the thing that I think is so important with this topic is to understand that waiting until you just can't, you know, do anything except for being a little tiny ball in the corner of your room isn't necessary to be able to identify overwhelm in your life, right? Like you don't have to be in that place. And by the time you are in that place, it's often much harder to undo. Well, and that creates an interesting segue because you're a naturopathic physician and acupuncturist who wrote a book, which like the way most people talk about overwhelm, you'd be like, why would an ND and an acupuncturist be talking about this topic over here? 
Right. Um, but there is a bridge. Yeah, um, there is. I mean, that actually was a question that I was getting asked by publishers when I was first looking for, you know, looking to get the book out there. Right. Very. Yeah. So what's the bridge? So the bridge is that day over day over day and month over month and year over year, this is my 22nd year in practice. I have a brick and mortar in Portland. I have an online business where I do consulting and coaching with people. And what I found, again, ongoing and ongoing is that people, you know, we can do tests and we can diagnose a condition or a disease, but ultimately this sense of overwhelm, this experience of being overburdened and having too many stresses and too much um too many things, more things than we can deal with, actually is the most important thing to get under in order to help people feel better. And whether that's to feel better emotionally or physically, whatever that is, but that for everyone, that if that piece is missing, it's next to impossible to really get to where we want to get in our lives. So our, the, the manifestation of, of our day to day is lined up with what's most important to us and how we want to live. What I find fascinating about that is it's the reverse of the way that it works for me with my clients sometimes because my clients will come and they'll be they'll have high anxiety and they'll have high sometimes depression mm -hmm. and just frustration and things like that. And as we start doing more and more of their best work and making their ideas happen, all of those start to fall away. Right. right. Uh, and so it's one of those things where I've had multiple clients say, you know, I've been seeing a therapist for years. Mm. And after working with you for this amount of time, I actually don't need to because I wake up and I'm doing the things that matter most to me. Yeah, I mean, that's actually the same. It's not even the opposite. It's the exact same thing, right? So when we come at it from this perspective of what's most important to me, then you have all this extra room to A, be able to absorb the stress that's just necessarily part of life in our culture, but also to be able to do the work you need to do. So it's this kind of you know, upward spiral that people can get into that honestly starts with what you're doing or what, what I'm doing, right? It's the same thing, ultimately, it's, I think. Yeah, it's the same thing. Because I, I think that's... Uh, uh, rant might happen here, so I'm just warning everybody. Rant <laughs> or a sidebar conversation. Well, I think part of the challenge that we have with sort of our medical reductive way of thinking is that we try to break down the parts. Like you're feeling this way, and it comes from this one part that's in the body, and we work on that one part that's in the body, and then you'll feel better. But that's not the organic sort of system that we are, right? Right. To where there's a whole variety of inputs that may not have that it might not be that my kidney is anything's wrong with my kidney except for something's going on in my life stress overwhelm happens in a certain way in my kidney is feeling that right and, and or it's it, it's affecting my kidney but if you just try to go to the kidney you're not affecting the root cause of the challenge right Right. And I think that's ultimately what naturopathic medicine is about is, well, it's not, I think that, but that's what is naturopathic medicine is all about is getting very clear about what is, you know, what is the whole organism and what is our, what do our lives look like in totality? And it doesn't mean that there isn't something wrong with some particular aspect of our health, but that's not the you know, you know, sometimes you have a genetic disposition or something's like literally malfunctioning, but often that's because of this accumulation of all of the stresses that we have. It doesn't, you know, it's the, it's the cause, it's the result, not the cause. And when we look at things holistically, it's, you know, that's exactly, you know, I mean, that's the perfect rant for what I do, right? I mean, when we look at things holistically, we're actually able to get underneath them. Yeah. And what I find to be interesting, maybe jumping a little bit ahead here, maybe jump going right where we are, but um, for me personally, 
when I start noticing that I'm going through bad behaviors, bad habits, bad patterns, like typically rather than saying like, oh, like I need to work on whatever the top line thing is, it's always a signal for me that something else is going on. Like, yes. uh, I'm, you know, because one of my things I have to be careful about is I love food. Um, after a year of writing a book and, you know, having some medical stuff come up, um, I am showing my love for food physically. <laughs> um, and so it's one of those things when I go to that place where I'm like, ah, I'm out of alignment with the way that I know I should be eating. What else is right. going on? It's not just that I right. love food. It's like, oh, I've got this other stuff going on and I'm anxious about something or I'm afraid of something or I'm right. uncomfortable about something. And that leads to that particular pattern. And I can't just say, you know, stop eating X. I have to say, what's causing me, what's triggering me to do that particular thing? Right. And you can, you know, muscle your way through, I'm not going to eat X. And then it pops up somewhere else. It's like whack-a-mole, right? There's, mm -hmm. if, you, if you try to hit that thing without actually dealing with what's underneath it, it's going to pop up somewhere else, which is, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, I'm not against taking Western medications as a nat licensed naturopathic physician. I can treat things from a complementary or a Western perspective, right? I do prescribe meds in certain cases where it's appropriate. But if you are having chronic headaches and you just keep taking Advil, you are, even if you don't still have headaches, whatever is underlying that issue is going to pop up somewhere else. And that's the, you know, that's the problem with reductionistic medicine and therapy and coaching and, right, any time that we really look to see, you know, to treat or address this one little tiny piece, we, we miss the, we, not only do we miss fixing the problem, but we miss the growth opportunity. We miss the lining up our lives with what we really want it to look like, right? Exactly. And you um, led me right into my next question. Like I was particularly enthused and appreciative um, that you included values in chapter five of the book and how that ties to different things. Um, so what is the relationship between your values and overwhelm? So in, in this paradigm that I put out in this book, this kind of particular process of identifying how you're going to get rid of your overwhelm, the very first part is identifying what's most important to you. Because there are so many things we want to do in our lives and we have to do in our lives. And it's impossible. I mean, even if it were you were just doing the things you want to do and we were able to get rid of all the things that we have to do or we think are important to do, it, we still wouldn't be able to do them all. So ultimately, we need to be able to vet our choices on a day-to-day -day basis so our overall load is lower. And the first piece of that is understanding what's most important to you. Because if we're not clear about that, we end up making choices that are lined up with someone else's values or our cultural milieu or what our parents think we should do, right? And that's not, that doesn't allow us to really, again, live a life of that lines up with who we truly want to be. And you can have these ideas about what's most important, but unless you do the actual work to say, here are the things that are most important to me, and that's not static. It doesn't have to stay the same over 50 years, right? Those things can change, and it's work that I recommend doing on a regular basis, along with, with looking at how you want to feel, not just what's most important, right? Those things together. Um, actually, in combination with a third thing, which is what's most important, I call the, the combination of those three things your values, how you want to feel, and what's um, you know what you want to accomplish, your true north, right? This kind of idea of what you're moving toward. And having that as a foundation and literally using it to vet your decisions on a regular basis is it, it allows us to line up our values with our choices in a really authentic way. That's the really interesting thing about principled people, right? And by principled people, I mean people who are aware of 
their values, how they want to feel, and what their true north is. Mm. Um, it allows them to endure a whole lot of stuff without mm. it fe- without necessarily having to tap into nearly as much resiliency. Um, and when we talk about sort of first world problems, one of the first world problems that we have is the paradox of choice. There are all these things we might do. There are all these things we get from society. We just saw our friend on Instagram and they're living an awesome life and I want to live that awesome life too. Mm. And then we see the show and then we see this thing and then all the sort of things. We have this huge range of things that all look compelling. Right. But we don't have that principled core that says, you know what, that's not for me. Actually, I don't like traveling that much. Right. So, you know, they can do all those things that they want to do, and I can appreciate that for them, but I never have the urge to travel because that's not in line with who I am. Really. Right. And so it creates this sort of interesting scenario, and it reminds me of Viktor Frankl's um, Man's Search for Meeting, right? Mm. Where, like, you look at people in really dire circumstances, um, and whether they're concentration camps or – you get the phone call that the forest fire is coming towards your house and you've got to get your family out. Like it clarifies things incredibly because your priorities are no longer those things, values, I should say. Those values and priorities are no longer things you have to sort of extricate and right. find your way to. They're like in your face, right? right? And it's super clear about what to do. And so you can endure those hardships and you don't end up with all that sort of pseudo existential story of like, I could be doing this and, and you know, all of that. Right. And taking responsibility for that and saying, this is something I'm going to choose to do. This is something I'm not going to choose to do. It also takes this, it takes this extra layer of uh, shame and discomfort and failure and all of those things off as well, because you're, you're literally saying, is this right, right in this moment, is this something that should be a priority that's important to me? And even if you misfire, which everyone does constantly, right, we're always making choices. I say, well, that thing that I did didn't actually really line up with what was most important to me because I let that fall for a minute or because I didn't pay attention or because I misunderstood or because my own personal pathology got in the way, right? But then you can kind of loop back around and say, hey, this is something that didn't work and why? And then to connect the dots again for the next time. You know, something you just said made me think of shame stories and this weird sort of principle that's in ethics. Um, and the uh, principle is ought implies can, meaning that um, if you have a moral duty to do something or someone tries to propose a moral duty, they're also assuming that you can fulfill that duty. When mm. we move when we move away from that, when you think a lot of the shame stories and the regret stories we have, we have this idea that we should have done something different. Mm. Like we could have done something different, so on and so forth. But in certain scenarios, like when you, you know, I think I'm going to say it this way. When you're going through a, an illness or sickness or you're going through a family sort of thing, it clarifies a lot for you because there's just a lot you can't do. Right. Right. It's no, no one of those things. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I've got 10 hours of day to feel and things like that. Just like I can do one thing today. Right. And I'm going to do that one thing. And though it's a head game to try to figure out how to how to adjust your expectations at the same time, you know, you can't do something. So I think it switches it from, say, um, regret to sadness and grief and frustration. Sure. Um, but not saying you don't feel those negative emotions, but it's a different feeling than feeling like you should have done something different than you right. did. Right. And there's another piece with that too, which is the choosing, right? In the moment, we, you know, we're making the best choice that we can in that moment and working toward being able to make choices that are more in alignment with what we want to see happen in our lives uh, is, is really important. And also knowing that a lot of times we don't, you know, again, back to this privilege thing, right? Like this first world problem issue is 
you know, sometimes you don't have a choice and you, you know, wouldn't it be great to go help your neighbor, but you've got to go work your third job so you can feed your kids. And there, there are, you know, it's hierarchy, right? And it's, it's how can we, you know, how can we look at our lives and make the choices where we do have choice? Because that's imperative for being able to, to not feel that shame and to not feel the guilt and for not feel the heaviness and carry the weight of that. Because there are always times where, you know, everyone has their own continuum of what they can and can't do, their own continuum of privilege, their own continuum of resources, their own continuum of education and history and all of that. And so wherever you are is who you are. And continuing to work toward making choices for yourself where you have control over the things also helps you feel better and get out of the spiral of overwhelm, whether that's overwhelm physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, because there are always things we have choice about, even within the context of difficult circumstance. And that's not to minimize that terrible things happen to people, right? Terrible things happen in the world and terrible things happen to people. And that's part of life. And I'm not saying you can just kind of claw your way out of that because you want to, right? Um, but looking at where, where can you within that make small choices, even right, like loving food. <laughs> so you can say if you are overwhelmed and stressed and tired and busy and have this huge list of things, and your go to is food to be able to say, well, what choice can I make right now that's going to make me feel better? And then looking at if it is, if you are not in a position to do that, instead of shaming yourself, say, well, what's the next thing I can do to get underneath this? And the next thing I can do to move forward in my own life so this lines up better for me. And also to say, this is something I may choose not to change in this moment. You may say, okay, over the course of the book, over this two, three year process that we were talking about a little <laughs> bit before the show, you know, this big chunk of life, I'm going to say this is something my priorities need to rearrange a little bit. And it doesn't mean that that's bad. It's just different. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's one of the sources of overwhelm for a lot of people is that they never give themselves the opportunity not to be superhuman, right? Mm -hmm. To say, you know what, today and this week, um, I'm not feeling well, I'm not going to be able to do it. And my priorities are going to shift from my normal superhuman self and what I might normally do to right. be like, you know what, this is a, you know, shirt and maybe pajamas week, right? <laughs> um, this, this isn't a, I'm going to get up and sort of, you know, whip the world into whatever shape I want it to be. Right. Um, because we need those times. We can't live that sort of epic life all the time. And even if we were to go to sort of mythological narratives, there's always that point when the hero is like, you know, I need to take a break, right? right? I need to do something. And, you know, in all the religious traditions, there's always a point where whatever divine being said, you know what? I've done enough for now. I'm just going to take a break for the day. Right. right? And there, that's seasons. There are seasons. Life has seasons. Yeah, life has seasons. And so um, I think – yeah, you know, I, I was on a um, webinar yesterday where I was trying to explain to people this concept where, like, you take any given thing you're thinking about doing and all the energy it might require to do that thing. You think about this like the big Venn diagram circle. And a little circle in that bigger one is the work it actually requires to do it. Mm. And then everything else around that is the story, right? The story right. that you're telling yourself about it, right? Right. And so a lot of times it seems that overwhelm can come not because of what's actually happening to you, but the story you're telling yourself about what's actually happening to you and how you're responding to that and where you think you should be and all this right. stuff that's not related to the fact that, like, 
this particular thing happened or this particular amount of work is required. Um, It's kind of like the call to, I like to talk about calls to the IRS because it's universal for for those of us in the United States or whatever your tax regulation is. Like we will avoid making a 15 minute call for like three months or six months or nine months. And it's not the 15 minute call, right? Right. It's everything around the 15 minute call and the dread and the fear and the, like all that stuff. Right. I call those tolerations. And we talk about that in the book, right? There are things you put up with because it seems like it's going to be more work or more difficult to deal with it. But ultimately it really is going to be so much less stress and they can, those tolerations can be little things. It can, you know, I mean, you know, for one person to call the IRS might be a little thing for someone else. It might be a big thing, but it can be a squeaky drawer. It can be, you know, a small thing like that, or a big thing like a relationship with someone, or it can be, going to therapy, right? So the longer you put it off, I had a patient this week who has uh, a history of cancer and she's been told she needs to have another additional surgery unrelated to the cancer, but to help with prevention of uh, additional cancers in the future. And she's, you know, the, she's been humming and hawing about how she wants to do it and when she wants to do it. And, you know, we've been talking about it for three months. And I said, lady, let's, what, what if you just scheduled it and then took all of the worry around it off your plate? Because really you've already decided you're going to do it. And she looked at me and she said, oh, right. And because she couldn't even see that she was sitting in the middle of this vortex of stress that she was, you know, for good reason, she had been traumatized with her prior surgeries, right? It was legitimately trauma. So this is something that's living inside her and she's make, you know, her response is coming from this place. So it's, it's make the appointment and it's, all right, there's more work to do around that trauma that you had. So you can move forward in other ways and not be stuck. Yeah, it's surprising how much not making, not seeing a decision through can cause overwhelm, oh, right? So Especially when you've already made the decision, but you just haven't done the, like the next step right. uh, that solidifies that decision. A lot of people get stuck there for a long time. And it's like, just see, I mean, and I know that's where sort of army Charlie comes out where I'm like, <laughs> just make the call, right? You've already right. decided you're going right. to do it. Or you can then look at the thing and say, wow, I've been putting this off for X amount of time. I'm going to take this and move it into this category of things I'm not going to change right now. And then you then it's off your plate and you can let go of the guilt and the shame and all of those things. Because ultimately, I mean, I do that with my to-do list. When it's week over week over week and I see the same thing on there, I go, this either needs to get onto my, you know, I'm going to handle this this week thing. Or it's going to go into my list of let's put this off because I clearly don't have the bandwidth to do it right now. Or it needs to go into a, let's just cross it off and make it go away, which often we can do and we don't think we can do, right? There are so many things that we say, well, I have to do this. But if it's something that you've had to do for a year, like, do you really have to do it? I mean, calling the IRS maybe, but, you know, so many of those things, the answer is no. And identifying what those things are, and that's one of the processes I go through in this book, right, is helping people identify what they can't change, what they can change, and then what they're going to choose not to change right now. Because that is what clears, ultimately clears the things away. And again, it's not, it's, it's the big things, but also the little, like the minutia, the small, the middle size, the big things, right? Those all accumulate. And ultimately, if we can even come up with 20 small things, which sounds like a lot, but ultimately when they're very small things, you, you could punch that out in an hour. And then that lowers your overall load. So then you can even see a little bit more clearly what is it that, that, I need to do about these other big things. Is it a therapy issue that I'm not dealing with this or is it a fear or is it a desire or is it just that it doesn't need to be done? Yeah. And I don't know if you put it in the book or if I'm misremembering this. Sometimes it's super helpful 
to make a like a visual list of the things you're not going to change so that you realize that you've already made that decision once. Like yes. you're either going to make the decision again or you're going to follow your previous decision, but stop thinking right. about it. Right? Yes, that's yeah, that is absolutely part of the process. Yep. Cool, cool. Um, so yeah, it's it's that it's that whole fisher cut bait thing, right? It's like are, are and that's something that I get with my clients a lot. It's like you know we we've talked about this for two sessions. Um, and you have all the information you need. We're either going to fish or we're going to, we're either going to do it or not do it, but we're not having this conversation again. Right. right? (laughs) You're like, don't pay me to have this conversation again. And that happens a lot. And with my clients and my patients, I go, all right, well, you know, the other last piece of that is fish or cut bait. And if you can't make that decision, what's getting, what piece of pathology is getting in the way that you need to deal with? Because ultimately that may actually be the thing that really needs to be done more than the actual thing itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a part of the pre-decision. So here's here's what you're dealing through, <laughs> and here's where you are now. And so we've already covered that. And it's like, you know, there might be somebody else you want to talk about with some of that pathological piece. Um, right. But um, you mentioned one of my favorite words, which is load. Uh, and the reason, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you pulled it back here because a lot of times when I'm working or talking to people, I after a certain point, I say, you know what? At a certain point, we don't get to say overwhelm anymore, mm-hmm. right? We get to say overload, right? Because I very rarely found a place where someone was overwhelmed when they weren't all when they weren't overloaded. And the overload is the cause of the overwhelm, right? right? Yes. And yes, so we can say overwhelm, but I want to start talking about the overload because that's what yes. we can change. We can yes. change the load, right? We can change different things, which goes very much it interlinks with your con- your your bucket theory, right? Right. Um, and so I've set it up that way. But tell us a little bit more about the bucket theory. Right. So the concept is that we are each born with a different ability to handle stress. And I represent that as a bucket. And sometimes it's a tiny bucket. Sometimes it's a big bucket. And I I do think there are some ways that you can change the size of your bucket. You know, a big spiritual epiphany for people who roll like that or some kind of major life changing event or, you know, meditating in the woods for 10 years, whatever that is. There are ways to change your bucket. But mostly you have you get you kind of get what you get coming in and then it is largely, it's affected quite a bit by your childhood, but then kind of beyond that, right? You have your bucket and then different things fill that bucket up. And the, there are things that really can't be changed like your genetics. Although there is the field of epigenetics where we know that what happens out in the world interacts with what our genes are and impacts how we manifest health conditions and psychological conditions. And then there's our history. We can't change our history, but we can change the way we interact with it. And then beyond that, the bucket fills up with all kinds of different things. And everyone has different things in their buckets, but there are general categories that tend to be the same across groups. And that's environmental stress, nutritional stress, insufficiencies. So are you getting enough fresh water, sunlight, fresh air, nature, physical touch, whatever those things are for you. Financial stress, uh, cultural paradigm stress, health stress, you know, all of these things that build up. And then within each of those categories, you have different stresses that are impacting you. And so once the bucket is full, it can overflow. And then you either straight up feel quote unquote overwhelmed the way we described it earlier, or whatever your weak spot is going to, you know, whatever your weak spot is health wise or emotionally is what's going to be exploited from that bucket overfilling. And so when we are looking at the bucket, 
we are able to decrease our overall load. And again, even if there's something really big that takes up a piece of that, so being in process of a divorce or living with a narcissist or, you know, whatever those things are that take a big chunk out of your bucket, there are always things in there that you do have control over. And that's what I really focus on in this book is identifying what are those things so you can act on the things that are going to have the most benefit with the least effort. Because again, adding a whole bunch of, for instance, self-care things to try to get your overwhelm down often adds more over well because you can't you know someone said you know, you're, you're already feeling bursting at the team at the team at the seams and someone says all right now I want you to meditate for an hour a day would that be good for you of course is it the best course of action when you're already completely overcooked most often no you know I'm glad you mentioned that too because I was thinking about your comment about tolerations and um, as I was reading the book I was thinking well, how in my experience, how much weight tolerations and those little frogs and setbacks have to people's day-to-day existence. And it, it might just be the squeaky keyboard tray, right, um, that you right. mentioned in your book, right, that you finally come to peace with. But um, I was thinking, um, I think there are a lot of tolerations or a lot of um, setbacks or a lot of just micro toxic moments that happened. Um, mm. not just looking, not just looking at you, social media, right. Um, <laughs> that, that compound to create a sense of overwhelm. And I was thinking, huh, you know, that's an easy place to start. But then I read the whole key of change thing, mm. um, excuse me, the key of change. I'm like, well, that might be me that needs to like eliminate all of the small things. And then I'm good with tackling the bigger things where someone else might want to tackle the bigger thing and tolerate the squeaky keyboard tray, which would drive me crazy, by the way. Um, <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about the chi of change and how that might how that might work. Right. So the idea of the chi of change is that everyone has a different way that they make change best and that it is best for them to approach change. So when my patients come in, for instance, I ask them, do you tend to like, actually, the first thing I ask them at the end of my intake form is how much or uh, how 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 would your life be different if you weren't dealing with these health issues or emotional issues? How much in a scale of one to 10, how important is it to you to feel better? And then how much change are you willing to make? And so that's the first thing I look at to see kind of how those things align. But with that, how much change you're willing to make, I also want to understand what's the better approach. Sometimes people want to do all the things at once and really do have that kind of bandwidth. Other times they want to do just a few small things. Other times, you know, and some people want to really deal with the little things because that's all they can do. And other people really want to take on the big things first. So really understanding, you know, being honest with yourself, I guess, is what that's really about, is being honest with yourself about what works best for you for making change and living a life where your values are lined up with your choices. Because again, you can't do it all. It's impossible. And part of the book is really identifying all of the, what's in your bucket, the little stresses, the big stresses, the medium stresses, and people often will start digging into the book and say, oh, there are so many things, right? How could I, and, and that feels overwhelming, but ultimately getting your eyes on, oh, here are all of the things. These are the things that are going to have the biggest impact with the least effort. And for some people who are good at making, I shouldn't say good at making bigger changes, but people who are more wired to make more sweeping changes and stick with them, then those people are going to have more bang for their buck choosing the big things. And then someone else who really isn't doesn't prefer to approach things that way or historically doesn't have a good experience doing that, then they're going to do better with the smaller things. And then also sometimes it's a difference with thing over thing. So for making a dietary change, it's better to make it kind of in small steps. 
and for someone else, making in big steps. But it might be reversed as far as dealing with the clutter in your house or, you know, someone who is going to want to cut out all sugar may not be able to get rid of all the junk in their house in four days. Right. So it may be for that person taking 10 things out of every room every weekend to start decreasing the load. So it's going to really vary from person to person and learning about yourself and being honest with yourself too, right? What has worked in the past and why didn't it work? Is it a, you know, is it past trauma? Is it pathology? Is it not having the tools you need? Is it not really giving a crap too, right? That's possible. And, you know, we, you, what's, you know, we're going to talk to social media again, you know, when every day you see the minimal this and minimal that and capsule wardrobe this and, you know, but if that's not how you want to live, I'm, I don't want to get rid of 90% of my clothes. I like my clothes. And is my closet sometimes a little daunting and overwhelming? Yes. Could I do with getting rid of some pants that I can't button? Sure. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I've been thinking a lot about this when it comes to time, because um, the book that I'm working in, working on one really addresses one of the chief challenges we have that um, we are not good with shifting timescales, right? So we understand the week a certain way, and then we understand there's an, there's an order of magnitude shift in perspective when we go to the month. And then there's another order of magnitude shift when we go to the quarter, and another order of magnitude when we go to the year. Oh, and And why that's important is because when we start thinking about change, obviously that's invoking some sense of timescale. Mm -hmm. Right. And where we get into a lot of trouble when it comes to the epistemology of time is that we might see a big list of all the things like what you mentioned, but we collapse all those things into the right now. Right. And then it feels super, super overwhelming. Right. Right. Because it's like it's impossible. Um, But when we collapse all those things into a scale of time of like a year or three, all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, that's actually doable. right? Right. And so there's this way of thinking through how you want to make change happening and finding the right order of magnitude of time or the right action horizon for you to say, like, you know what, I want to lose 40 pounds. You're not going to do that tomorrow, right? right? You're not going to do that next week, right? Probably not going to do that next month. A doctor, maybe Dr. Samantha, can tell you how long that might take. But we know that it's going to be on this. it, It relates to a certain chunk of time. Right. Right. But then there might be things like getting rid of 10 stuff, like 10 things in each room. You can do that this afternoon. Right. right. You can right. do that in the next 10 minutes if you wanted to. Right. Right. And so as you start thinking about your chief of change, yes, it's what's your approach. But I would also add in there, start thinking in terms of timescales because it that's might make it make a lot of difference to you. Huge difference. And I think that's, you know, that's also in alignment with the um, that's also in alignment with what we look at as far as being able to being able to postpone things and not necessarily do it all at once or all at the same time or or what's most important right now right because and so part of what I when I'm probably similar to what you do is I say okay let's let's look at this next chunk of stuff you can have this eye on what you want to create in the next 6 months or the next year but ultimately it really is more about what is most important right now in order to get you where you want to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you take that perspective, it's one of those things where obviously as a system strategist and as a naturopath, that's where you can, we can start saying, well, we're going to work. That's where we're trying to go, but we're going to work on this thing that seems unrelated, right? Right. That's actually a part of you getting there. Right. And I think that's the link that a lot of people don't necessarily see is that, 
sometimes to go forward in this way, you've got to go 90 degrees a different direction. Right. <laughs> right. Often to go around what often to go around right. whatever roadblocks that's going to that would otherwise be right in front of you. Right. And it's not always that head on focus and, you know, every day you're going to do what like, no, it's not that sometimes. Right. right. Um, you've got to go around it sometimes. You mentioned earlier about meditation and about how when you're overwhelmed, like being told that, you know, you need to meditate and then you need to work out for 30 minutes a day and then you need to get 30 minutes of sunlight and then change your diet so that it takes you another three hours. Right. Like all those things are not helpful. Um, and it's super easy to start thinking like, you know what? The thing is, is I just suck at self-care and I'm going right. to fail at self-care. Right. And it's just you end up with this other sort of performance area in your life. Like, am I am I self-caring enough? Yeah. And so, you know, I really loved your mentioning that you can't fail at self-care. Um, and when I read that, I was like, hey, Angela, you need to read this book. Um, <laughs> I, she needed to read it in general. But when I read that, I was like, Angela, you totally need to read this. Tell us a little bit more about your idea that you can't fail at self-care. All right. So the idea is that as we, you know, it's important to do things to take care of ourselves. But ultimately, what that is, is a process. And there is no one thing that's right. And if you do something, and you find you're not able to, or you want to do something, I should say, and you're not, quote, unquote, able to implement it, it either means it's the wrong thing, or you need more support, or you, you know, we always learn something from that. So the, the idea that, well, you know, I'm bad at taking care of myself or I'm not doing enough is absurd. It doesn't mean that we can't regroup and say, this is something that needs to go higher up on my priority list. But when we try to do something, quote unquote, for ourselves, and then we, quote unquote, fail, right, time over time, because it's a natural, it's human nature to to have trouble sticking with changes and to implement things long-term because our brains like novelty. And we then turn that back around on ourselves. Now we're just making things worse. Now we have shame and self-judgment back to that again, as always, instead of saying, all right, what did I learn from this? And did I pick the right thing? Did I try to do it too quickly? Is it just one more thing in my pile? Because you can't keep adding all of that. And again, I, I don't mean to, you know, certainly demonize exercise or eating well or meditation, but you have to make room to be able to do those things. And if you aren't able to follow through with something that's important to you, there's something getting in the way. You either have too many things on your plate, it's uh, your subconscious is trying to sabotage you somehow because your subconscious wants your external experience to match your internal experience and somehow your subconscious doesn't want you to succeed with that thing, quote unquote, succeed, right? Mm -hmm. But the the ultimate goal isn't to have a New Year's resolution that you meet. It's about having a life that lines up with your values. And if you're working toward that, uh, the way I think about it with New Year's resolutions is I, I recommend and support people to have themes instead of resolutions. So my theme for the year is health or my theme for the year is ease or peace or whether it's a word or an intention, it doesn't really matter. But when we say, all right, here's this thing I need to accomplish, you're almost setting yourself up to not be able to do it. And then if you look at that as a failure, now you're stacking failure on failure. And then what does that do for your subconscious, right? I am someone who fails at self-care. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the themes thing. Um, Angela and I have recorded a podcast on that. We'll link in the show notes. Might rerun that in the next next six weeks or so. Um, you know, the thing about it is, is I often encourage people to approach self-care as an experiment. 
Right. Mm, And say, you know what? Like you have this sort of thing. You think you're going to feel that way. You think that's going to be a good solution. But what about if we just approached it as an experiment and say, I'm going to try that and see what happens. Right. Right. Um, And it might be that I'm going to go to the gym for three for three times this week because I think it's going to make me feel better. Right. Okay. Okay. So that first time you don't go to the gym, you get to ask like, oh, why didn't I go to the gym? What happened? It's it's not a pass fail. It's a learning opportunity for it's you to really. It's a learning opportunity. Yeah. Right, to absolutely. say, okay, hmm, that didn't work, but it didn't work that way. So I'm going to tweak this and try another experiment where I try it that way. Right. right. Um, and so you're. I, I think it removes this sort of you passed or you didn't. But yeah, I think absolutely. it also. Yeah, it also makes it so much more um, informative and nurturing. Right. And the other piece of that too is that it's necessarily going to be difficult to pick up a new habit, A, if you don't really have good skills for making new habits, but B, if you are overloaded. Add in going to the gym three week, three times a week. Now you can say, well, why didn't it work? Do I need to go to a different gym that's closer? Is it better for me to put on my sneakers first thing in the morning or my workout outfit? You, you can have little tactics like that, but ultimately, if you're over, if you're feeling overwhelmed and there are too many things in your bucket, trying to add something at that time is so much harder. And if you, when we make the effort to really identify what's most important and what are the things that are taking up space in our buckets that we really don't need, that really don't support us or serve us, and we're able to lower that overall load, then we have the space to really experiment, right? And experiment in a way that we are more likely to be able to come up with a solution. When your brain is full, and your life is full and you, you know, it's hard to, to implement the changes, let alone come up with good solutions. Yeah. We too often think about adding when we need to focus more on subtracting, mm. I think, right. When it comes to a lot of this, cause that's, again, you add anything, you add load. Um, okay. and though it might and be hard. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's life as we age too, right? I mean, being firmly planted in middle age right now, you know, life is necessarily going to keep adding stresses because that's what life is about. And like, yes, you can unload things, but the more, the longer you're on this planet, the more burdened your body's going to be with all of the things that we face and the more stresses we're going to have. That's just natural. So now what? So now what indeed? And that's a great segue. Dr. Samantha, as the guest for today's episode, you get to live, leave our listeners with a challenge or an invitation. So based upon what we've talked about or whatever's coming up for you, what would you invite or challenge our listeners to do? I would like to ask your listeners to take some time to really look at what their values are. And we can link, I actually have an exercise for that. We can link in the show notes if you want to do that. Yep. The, um, the, the great benefit of taking the time to do that, and it doesn't have to take six months, it doesn't even have to take an hour if you don't want it to, but to get clear about that one thing is the first step in really making choices that are going to get you toward what's most important for you in your life. Dr. Samantha, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a blast, as is all of our conversations. Yeah. And again, love the book. And I'm proud. Um, So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It was absolutely great to be here. All righty, listeners. So you heard it from Dr. Samantha. We're coming into the time in which people start thinking about new goals and what they want their new year to look like. Um, Think more about what your values are now and where those values might take you and what they might also help you let go of. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. 
To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. 